0: The scripture reader reading this morning is Haggai two ten through 23. On the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priest about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold, bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, Does it become holy?" The priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, so is it with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. Now then, consider from this day onward. Before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. When one came to the wine vat to draw fifty measures, there were but twenty. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, Yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month. Since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider. Is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you.
1: The word of the Lord. Came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth, and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations, and overthrow the chariots and their riders, and the horses and their riders shall go down, every one. By the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. This is the word of God. There are good times, and there are hard times. It's burned
0: nearly 300 structures.
1: Russian forces are launching a new large-scale... Event. Does it feel like we are trending toward hard times? Record prices at the pump. The state's reservoirs are alarmingly low. Food shortages, inflation, invasions, lawlessness, fires, crop failures, and supply chain turmoil are all the news. What's going on? Could it be that God is using all this to get our attention? It has happened before. In the days of the prophet Haggai, Israel began a great work, but their attention was diverted and the good work abandoned. That's when things unraveled and God taught them and teaches us how to
2: do what matters most. The date was December 18, 520 B.C., almost four months after the first message, and this is when the message one of two that we're going to look at today was given by the prophet Haggai. The prophet Zechariah, remember the last three books of the Bible? Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Zechariah had actually begun his ministry. If you read Zechariah 1, verses 1 through 6, that message was given before this one came to Haggai. And it's actually a reinforcement of what Haggai was saying. Here's the core of the message. Return to me that I may return to you. So Zechariah is actually echoing and reinforcing what Haggai said in his first message, which was connect the dots. Now, where are we? The planting stage of winter, uh, the winter crops is complete. So they've already put the seed in the ground. The early rain has fallen. Previous harvests have been disappointing in the extreme. Uh, Yields dramatically below what the projections would be based on seed volume this amount this bag of seed ought to produce this far short nothing would suggest that the current crop is going to do any better now God had said I am with you Uh, he had said build the temple consider your ways and so they decided yes we will do that and God said I am with you and that kindled a passion for rebuilding the temple and the work is progressing but the farming conditions and crop yields for the last 14 years which were intended to help Israel connect the dots have not deviated from a consistent pattern of disappointment and the bottom line is Israel has a cupcake problem and I want to illustrate to you what's going on so my uh, good friend Eliza is going to come up and help me so come on up And I've got a couple and you can just stand right here if you would and would you be okay with holding this microphone how are you doing Eliza you doing okay Good. do you like cupcakes yes oh good I got a couple of them here what this one looks good you want that one yes okay would you like some sprinkles you know I have some I have some sprinkles and so on would you like some sprinkles okay let's do it so what I have here This is actually some sprinkle that I made, it's from some dirt by my driveway. So, uh, what do you think? You ready for that? Uh... It's okay, (laughs) never mind that I'm the pastor, tell me what you really think. No. (laughs) Yeah, I wouldn't want that cupcake either. Now, what's interesting is the cupcake is still there, the cupcake hasn't changed, has it? But the dirt sprinkles have totally messed with our cupcake, right? I mean, let's, what we need is good sprinkles, right? So, you want to go for this one instead with some yeah. good sprinkles? Okay, yeah. all right, here we go. I'm putting on the good sprinkles. Now, what you should know is that this is a cupcake that I made out of mud. So, we put good sprinkles on it though, right? So, that ought to make it good. Do you want that cupcake? No. No. <laughs> So what have we learned so far we've learned even a good cupcake if you put sprinkles that are dirt on it is gonna ruin it but good sprinkles can't fix a bad cupcake in other words dirt which is like sin ruins anything that it's put on right now you've been a good girl about coming up here and doing this so I have a present for you here are two cupcakes would you like any sprinkles on them no. All right, well then. <laughs> so she's got two cupcakes there, and one she can share with a friend. We'll see who does that. And these are cupcakes without sprinkles. Sin, which is fear of men or pleasing self over pleasing God, corrupts and contaminates our cupcake. It turns our efforts into something that is distasteful. And 14 years of messed up priorities have made the work of Israel's hands toxic. So when Haggai receives a message in which God says, let's do a little Q&A, I'd like you to convene a panel and ask them some questions. And the priests who are the Bible answer men are invited to provide a ruling in two cases. Basically, what they're asked is, when you put dirt sprinkles on something, does that do harm? You bet it does. But if you put good sprinkles on something not good, does that help it? No, it doesn't. So in case one, basically what he's saying is, does holiness go from A to C? A is holy meat, B is a garment, C is food, wine, and oil. Does does the holiness transmit to that thing? No. They answered correctly, based on Leviticus 6.20. How about unholiness? Does that go from A to C? If you touch a dead person, then your hands are unclean. And if there's something you touch, will it be unclean? Yes. Then here's the statement that God said. And here's the, the Jim Fleming interpretation. You people... Are like cupcakes with dirt on them. He says, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so is every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. In other words, what he's saying is the temple is a good thing, but your hands are spreading dirt on it. Remember that in both cases, He was talking about food items, you know, what transmits to food items. And basically what he was saying is, your hands have affected the ground, which is not producing what it used to. The basic idea is that evil is highly contagious. Good sprinkles cannot redeem a bad cupcake, and bad sprinkles can contaminate a good cupcake. Evil is much more contagious, One man's good example cannot save somebody else, but one man's evil influence can lead another to the damnation of his soul. Your sin has got you in trouble, is what God is saying to Israel. But here is what is so amazing to me. God is about to do something miraculous. God says, all right, let's compare What has your life been like for the last 14 years? They could easily tell him, it's been hard. We've struggled just to survive. Yeah, we didn't have a heart for your temple, even though that's what we came here to do and what you had told us to do. But it's been hard. Grain yields have been down 50%. Vine yields down 60%. Weird weather patterns. God says, I want you to make a mental note of this date. December 18, 520 B.C. Because from this date, I am going to bless you. Yes, it has been so disappointing. Yes, at this point, there is zero evidence that things are going to change, but I want you to mark this date on your day timer. I don't know if they had day timers, but mark this on you. And do we even now? Mark it, I guess, on your calendar, on your iPhone. From this day forward, I'm going to bless you. Yes, you ruined my cupcake, but I'm going to change that. The winter crop planting is done. The early rains have fallen. You have no reason to expect anything different from the last 14 years, except this time it will be different because I am going to release you from your consequences. Basically, what God is saying is welcome to the world of grace. Doing something good today does not automatically erase consequences from past failures. When we do things that are wrong, there are consequences. But it pleases God to give us grace and sometimes to release us from the consequences of past failures simply because he is good and a God of grace. He can and does defy the law of dirt sprinkles. Getting your heart right with God prepares you to give God a great return on his grace. There are those who say, well, there's you know graces in the New Testament and laws in the Old Testament, and I beg to differ. This is a place where God is saying, What you deserve are the consequences of your 14 years of considering me unimportant. But I am going to release you from that. Not because you've earned it or deserve it, but simply because I am good. So how do, how do we extract from this something that is helpful to us? Well, here's some application from this message, they, the first of the two we're looking at this morning. Admit, if you have done something that is dishonoring to the Lord, admit that the consequences you are facing are the product of your own wrong choices. God, I didn't do what was right. These are consequences and these are the consequences that I deserve for what I've done. Acknowledge to God, this just shows my priorities were not as they should be. Then do this, ask God to show you grace and release you from consequences, not because you deserve it, but simply because you know he is a God of grace. And as he does, then publicly acknowledge God as He extends grace to you. I can tell you that in our own lives, uh, for Rochelle and I and members of our family, we've lost count of all the ways that God has been so incredibly gracious to us. So when we blow it and reap the consequences and God decides I hope you've learned. Now I'm going to show you grace. That's when we say God is amazing grace. So a remnant returned to Jerusalem. They encountered opposition, which quashed their commitment to the temple reconstruction project. Their personal interest displaced devotion to God. And God spoke through Haggai 16 years after their return. He said, consider your ways. And the result was that the people reverenced God and began again to work on the temple. And so here then are God's responses. Response number one, I'm with you. That was chapter 1, verse 13. Then it says, the Lord stirred up the spirit of the people and the leaders, and they began the work. In chapter 2, verse 4, he says again, I'm with you. And as we just saw, response number four, he says, from this day on, I am going to bless you. I'm going to allow you to experience grace. Now here comes the last word. This is the last message of the book of Haggai. And basically what he's saying is, my plan to do you good is back on track. And that's what we'll look at next. So in verse 20, it says, then the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai, on the 24th day of the month, saying, "So this message, was that was actually delivered on the same day as message number three. It's kind of like the first chapter where we have like a morning message, and then the people respond, and then God says, "I am with you." Well here we've had the first message in which God says, "You deserve the consequences of your action, but I am going to show you grace." And now here comes the second message. And this one, to me, is off the chart, stunning in terms of what God is saying. So it's two messages in one day, very similar to what happened in the first message about four months ago. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. Now this message was given to an audience of one. He's speaking to Zerubbabel, who was a governor who had been appointed by the Persian king he had sent him to be kind of his magistrate of Israel. Zerubbabel is the son of Shealtiel and the grandson of Jeconiah, or also known as Caniah. And God declares his intentions. Here's what I'm going to do, and I'm telling this to you, Zerubbabel. He says, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. Now this is interesting because he's describing a cosmic quake This is not an earthquake. This is a universe quake. I've never experienced one of those. But that's what he's saying. He's saying, Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. Now, what does this look like? I don't know, but it's some sort of cosmic phenomena. It will affect the earth, but it will also affect the heavens. He says further, I will overthrow the thrones of kingdoms, and destroy the powers of the kingdoms of the nations. I will overthrow the chariots and the riders and the horses, and their riders will go down, everyone by the sword of another. He says, I'm going to overthrow the thrones and kingdoms. In other words, all political entities are going to be replaced. Human government, as it has existed, is going to come to a swift stop. He says, I'm going to destroy the power of the kingdoms of the nations. All military power is going to be neutralized. And then he says, and the horses and riders will go down, everyone by the sword of another. It's actually mutually assured destruction, in which they're fighting against one another. What's going on here? Sixty years earlier... God showed Nebuchadnezzar, who was at that time the world leader of the supreme power, Babylon, and he had a dream. Here's what Daniel told him he saw in his dream. You continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed all at the same time and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth." Now that's a recounting of what Nebuchadnezzar saw. Here's Daniel saying, let me explain what you've just seen. Let me interpret that for you. In the days of those kings, which is basically this image he saw was the succession of world empires, In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. In other words, it won't be superseded. It's the end kingdom. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. Inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cowed out of the mountain without hands, and that it crashed crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. The great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. Nebuchadnezzar saw this this image of a, a man who was gold and then silver and then bronze and then iron and iron and clay, and he saw a stone from a mountain not made with hands coming and crushing it to such an extent that the entire image is obliterated. And from this stone grows a great mountain. And Daniel explains what this is, is the end of the nations and the establishment of something totally new, which is the kingdom of God, which will grow to become this thing, which is all that is in the empire of men. Now, yeah, I can't wait myself. I'm ready, bring it, Jesus. However, 2 Peter 3, 3 and 4, tells us about the times that we live in. Here's what he says. Know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and they living on their terms, saying, where's the promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation, In other words, the past is the key to the present. Present is the key to the past. It's all been going on like it is. You guys and your delusions of what's going to happen, that's what the world is saying. That's what Peter told us will happen in the last days. But God is going to hit the reset button. The empire of men will be replaced by the kingdom of Jesus. And it will be good. So, what he's saying to Zerubbabel is this here's kind of the core point You may feel like you are an insignificant people, being dominated by powerful nations and influences, but you are the one people who, by right of their association with me, will prevail when all others have fallen. What he's saying is, stick with me. It will be worth it. We will prevail. We win. It's interesting to me that this is actually, and I alluded to this last week, this is actually what one of the pieces of Christian armor is. It's the fourth piece, the uh, head protection, which is about living in the light of a sure hope of where we're going, stick with me, it will be worth it, we win. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant, declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Now, what day is he referring to? He's referring to the day of the great shakeup, Messiah Day the day when the stone comes, the empires of men are come to a screeching halt, and God establishes his empire with Jesus as our king. And in this verse, 23, he actually says, declares three times. Declares the Lord of hosts. Uh, declares the Lord. Declares the Lord of hosts. In other words, take it to the bank. God is telling you what is going to happen. And there are three acts that he says are going to happen. He says, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Sheolta, my servant, and I will make you, second act, like a signet ring, for I have chosen you. Now, take here refers to a divine appointment. Divine appointment to be a signet ring. What's a signet ring? And in what sense is Zerubbabel a Signet ring or made like one. So we need a little background on signet rings, okay? So here from Esther 8 8, we actually have a reference to this thing called a signet ring, and it reads like this. Uh, now, this is Ahasuerus, and he's saying, Now you write to the Jews as you see fit in the king's name and seal it with the king's signet ring for a decree which is written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's signet ring may not be revoked. So basically this sig- I have a wedding ring the signet ring for a king was basically something that was used to make an imprint and by it it becomes irrevocable law. Something with a with the imprint of the signet ring is basically as authoritative as if you were talking to the king. However, even if the king has approved it, he cannot annul it. Even he cannot annul it. So when you got something with a seal on it, this is authenticated as the action of the king. A signet ring, as you can well imagine, is exceedingly valuable. That's the, if you're a king, that's one of the things you don't want to lose track of. Listen to this passage. This is Jeremiah. This is granddad to Zerubbabel. Now this is, to me, so stunning. This is what the Lord said through Jeremiah to grandpa, Zerubbabel's grandpa. As I I live, declares the Lord, even though Kaniah, which Jeconiah or Kaniah, those are the same terms for the same person, as I live, declares the Lord, even though Kaniah the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were a signet ring on, on my right hand, yet I would pull you off. And I will give you over into the hand of those who are seeking your life, yes, into the hand of those whom you dread, even into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of the Chaldeans. Here's God saying, even if you were a signet ring, I would take you off. And you will be judged. And that's what happened. Jeconiah or Keniah was judged. Babylon destroyed Jerusalem. It was laid flat. So when God says to Zerubbabel, I'm making you like a signet ring, what he's saying is what your grandfather did to forfeit his place of blessing I am restoring you to my favor. I am not going to make you incur the consequences of his failures. You're valuable and precious to me. I value you like a king does his signet ring. Basically, what he's saying is, I have plans for you, Zerubbabel, that go beyond your current assignment. What does that mean? Well, here's one. Zerubbabel actually shows up in the genealogies in both Matthew and Luke. In other words, his great, 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 it's actually 10 generations. His great, 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 I don't know if I said it 10 times, son is Jesus. You know, a few months ago we took a vacation, went to Pigeon Forge where we had a reunion with my siblings and they know things I like. One of the things they did was gave me a genealogy that goes back multiple generations. And I am happy to report, you probably don't realize this, but I am actually, and I don't know how many it is, I'd have to count them all, but I'm the great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson of Charlemagne. (laughs) Now, (laughs) there's also some other very uh, questionable characters in there as well, you know, know, uh, Hook's Heart the Evil and whatnot, but anyway... Zerubbabel, you are like my signet ring. You are that valuable to me. And one of the reasons is you are going to be the one from whom will come the Messiah, the king, who is the one at the center of this kingdom that I'm talking about. Now, it's also possible, this one's a possibility, I can't say the next two for sure, that He's also a kind of a, a preliminary view of who the Messiah is. He's someone with God's interest at heart, and he's building a temple, which is kind of a metaphor for God's presence among us, which is what Jesus did. And then there's a third possibility, and I find this one very intriguing, especially in the light of a verse that I'm going to share with you at the end of the service. Zerubbabel is going to be resurrected. You and I will get to meet him. He will be a part of the kingdom. And by saying you're a signet ring, what he's saying is I have something special for you. Yes, earth was kind of the initial, but I have something profoundly special that I want you to do. I've got a future for you. Your great-grandson will be the Messiah of the kingdom not made with hands. You will be remembered as God's regent and a preview of the Messiah. And in the future, you resurrected Zerubbabel will probably occupy a position of special importance in the messianic kingdom alongside your grandson. So what's God doing here? Well, he's fulfilling what he promised to David. He said to David, For thus says the Lord, David will never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. And Zerubbabel is that man through whom the Messiah comes, who is a son of David. What does Haggai's prophecy mean for Israel? Your leader, Zerubbabel, is a man who is valuable to me. And as you partner with him, you're doing what I'm interested in and what I will support. Follow my man and you will do well. God is saying the kingdom, province, which you support by supporting Zerubbabel, is the only earthly kingdom in all of human history with a connection to the kingdom not made with hands. That's a legacy. So what am I supposed to take away from this passage and really this book? I've got several principles for you. One, it's never too late to make a fresh start. In the case of the people to whom Haggai spoke, they had come to the land with zeal to build God's temple, but within two years, that zeal had been replaced by fear and a pursuit of personal interests. And so for 14 years, They lived with self on the throne and not God, 14 years, but then they made a fresh start and God says, I I am with you, I will bless you, and I am going to release you from the consequences of your sin. I don't care how long-standing your rebellion against God has been, or your compromise, or your fear, or whatever it is. I don't care how long it's been. It's never too late to make a fresh start. Second thing I would say is that sin makes messes of everything it touches. Remember the sprinkles? And sin had made a mess of the land of the people. But get this, our sin cannot make a mess so bad that God's grace cannot clean it up. When we blow it, God is not up in heaven. How many of you remember Lost in Space way, way back? Not the, the last one, but Lost in Space back in the, I don't know, 60s and 70s? Remember the robot? Does not compute. God is not, when we sin, going, I don't know what to make of this, Will Robinson. He's not concerned about what's happening. He's not thwarted. He's not daunted. God is capable of releasing us from the consequences of whatever and actually using that when grace is applied so that we can become better people. Sin cannot make a mess so bad that God's grace cannot clean it up. I'm reasonably confident that in this room there are some who would say, I don't think this can be recovered. The relationship, I don't see how it can possibly be restored. There is no mess so great that it is beyond God's ability and the power of His grace to repair it. And it pleases God to make grace belong to those who will make a fresh start with Him. Now, it's possible in this room that there are some who have never come to the cross, and basically said, My life is a mess. You talk about dirt sprinkles on a cupcake. My whole life has been ravaged by living for me. But to everyone who will come to the cross, Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. To everyone who comes and surrenders to him as Savior, he says, I will forgive you, and I can give you a new life in Christ if you want it. So before the service closes, I will give an opportunity, if that's your heart, for you to respond. If we will choose to put God in the center, then he can supply what we lack to bring our decision to a successful conclusion. Put God in the center and whatever is necessary to move to a place of blessing and goodness, God can supply it. He can release us from the consequences of our poor decisions. He can make of our efforts something of true significance and enduring value. That's what Haggai said as God's spokesman to the people of Israel, and that's what we can learn. God's grace, no matter what mess we've made, can get us back to the right place. Now, when we close the service, I'm going to say these words, but I want to give you a sneak peek of them because they actually echo what God said to Zerubbabel, but they are said to every person in this room who will live all in for Jesus Christ. You ready? This is from Revelation 3.12. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. What he is saying to every person in this room is, if you will live all in for Jesus Christ, I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God. I don't know what that means exactly. I just know it's really good and I want it. And he will not go out from it anymore. You'll never be thrown out. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem. It's going to say, you know, I don't know if I get a name tag or what, but uh, resident of Jerusalem. Can't wait. Well, what is it that God wants you to do? to make a fresh start. You know, what is it that's going on in your life right now that you would say, this is not as it should be, and it needs to change. Are you willing to bring that to him and say, God, I want to start over, and I want to start over with you in the center. And God says, I am more than capable of taking you to a place of blessing and grace if you'll put me back in the center. Let's pray. If you have never surrendered to Jesus Christ, I invite you to do so now. You can do it by praying a prayer just as simple as this, which is, God, I have not lived with you in the center. I am a sinner, and all the work of my hands has been contaminated by sin. But I know that Jesus came and died on the cross for me, and I am naming him as my Savior and the source of saving grace and sustaining grace. Thank you for saving me by sending your Son to die in my place. Help me to live all in for you. For the remainder who are here, is there something that you would put before the Lord and say, I have not held you in the center in the first place. Think of that, fix that in your mind as I pray for you. Father, there are some in this room who have allowed fear or self-preservation or the pursuit of personal pleasure to replace you as the center. Father, I pray that your spirit would both convict and give them hope right now. Help them to recognize what has been going on. And Father, I pray that they would acknowledge it to you. That they would also say, I want to make a fresh start. I want to live all in with you in the center in all things. And then I pray that as they do that, that you would surround them, envelop them in your gracious embrace and that they would sense the goodness of God and that this date, July 3, 2022, would be the day that things changed just as was the case for Israel in 520 BC. Father, I pray that we would be a people who are flourishing in the grace of God because we are living with you In the center, in Jesus' name, amen.